you want to live a life that is all in, not half-hearted, but holding nothing back, 100% committed with purpose? In the Old Testament, we get this thing called the Shema, which is a prayer or, or a declaration that Jews say at least two times a day. And we read of it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It says, Hear, O Israel. And in Hebrew, the word here is Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Notice that the purpose of God's people is to love God and to love them with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their strength. And in a way, the struggle of the people of God throughout Scripture and often at the centre of our problems today is that we can so easily hold back and love God half-heartedly. Think about it. If you go to a cafe and you order a coffee, what do they often ask you? Ah, do you want it hot or cold? They never say, oh, would you like that hot, cold or lukewarm? They don't ask, ask you that because a lukewarm coffee is it's just not very nice. It's unappealing. And it would be like the Shema saying, love the Lord your God with half your heart and with half your soul and half your strength. That would be unappealing to God as well. In his letter to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus writes this. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, I don't suggest you use this line in a cafe. You know, don't go in there and say, I know your coffee, that it's neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit it out. But the point is this, true love isn't lukewarm. It doesn't hold back. It's meant to be all in. And our passage today illustrates the pitfalls of loving half-heartedly, but also the blessings of holding nothing back and being all in. The context to our reading is this. The year is 874 BC. Israel is ruled by King Ahab, a weak king who married a Phoenician princess from Sidon called Jezebel. Now, Jezebel worships a Canaanite god, who's really just an idol, called Baal, and also Baal's consort, a goddess called Asherah. Now, Ahab goes along with it and allows his wife Jezebel to unleash a genocide against the true prophets of God, killing many of them. And she also installs places of worship to her idols all over the land and appoints 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. Now, culture is so often set from the top. What our leaders model, we often copy. And so the people of Israel begin to worship Baal and Asherah as well as the Lord. And this idolatry has consequences dire consequences, such that there's been a drought, a disastrous drought in the land with no rain for three and a half years. You know, we never truly flourish as a society when we fail to love God properly. But then God uses a prophet called Elijah to lay down a challenge. Elijah tells Ahab to summon all the people along with all the prophets of Baal and Asherah and to meet him for a showdown on top of Mount Carmel. And so all the people gather and we read this in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. 
So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Elijah lays down this challenge and asks asks them the question, how long will you waver between two opinions? The Hebrew word here for waver literally means dance. And just as if I dance before you now, you wouldn't really be blessed. So this dance between trusting God and trusting the idols was not blessing God either. And Mount Carmel was an interesting choice of location. You see, Carmel means garden of God. Important things, important decisions happen in gardens throughout scripture. In one garden was the ultimate act of disobedience, Eden. In the other was the ultimate act of obedience, Gethsemane. Which was it gonna be here on Mount Carmel? Mount Carmel was also the place where King Saul had erected a monument in honor of himself after defeating the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15, verse 12. And this gives us an insight into what lies behind our love of idols. It's a love of self. You see, idols are man-made. They are made in our own image. It's hardly surprising then that Baal was the god of harvest who controlled the weather and the crops and the god of fertility. In other words, he was the god of food and sex. No wonder he was so popular revealing our priorities. We might say we don't worship carved idols anymore, but in what or in whom do we trust? Do we trust God or do we trust in wealth, in our career, in a relationship, or in ourselves and our own abilities? You see, Baal, like every other idol, was there to try and gain favor with so that he'd ultimately do the people's bidding. Behind every idol ultimately lies a love of self and a desire to be in charge. You know, even with my job as a pastor, sometimes it can be too easy to try and rely on myself or my own smart thinking or lack of. I remember this tricky pastoral situation a family was going through and I just didn't know how to advise them. And uh, I was sort of not knowing which way to turn and I, and I shared it with Sarah, my wife, and she asked me this question, which kind of woke me up. She said, well, Miles, have you prayed about it? I thought, oh no, here am I, a pastor. And I hadn't actually prayed about it. I had to rely once again on the Lord, not on the idol of self. And so Elijah lays out a challenge to the prophets of Baal in front of the people there on Mount Carmel. He says, okay, get two bulls and to the prophets of Baal and Asherah, you uh, cut up the bull, lay it on wood, and I will do the same. And then you pray to Baal to send fire from heaven to burn it up, and I will do the same. I'll pray to my God to send fire. Whoever's go- whichever God sends the fire to burn up the sacrifice, then we will know that they are the one true God. The people go, mm, this is a good idea. So then we get the reading that unf- this, when the story unfolds. So this is 1 Kings chapter 18, and I'm gonna begin at verse uh, 
26. Then they, that's the prophets of Baal, called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy. Actually, the Hebrew here is even uh, more of a taunt. It's not perhaps he's busy, but perhaps he's doing his business. In other words, Elijah's saying, maybe he's not answering because he's on the toilet. Or maybe he's traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench round it, large enough to hold two sears of seed. That's about 15 litres. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Wow. What do we see about how we can love God wholeheartedly and live as disciples who are all in? Firstly, be bold. In contrast to the people, Elijah is all in. And as such, he's very bold. He's not afraid of being a minority. In fact, in this showdown, the, the odds don't look good for him. It's 850 to 1. It's him versus 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. Maybe you feel outnumbered as a Christian in your family or at school or maybe at work. Don't worry, be bold. And you can take heart that there's usually more Christians around than you realize. Just before this showdown, Elijah has made an overly dramatic remark about being the only prophet of God left. But he meets a guy, a fellow believer called Obadiah, who works in the king's palace and confesses to Elijah that he's secretly hidden 100 prophets of God in two caves to keep them safe from the genocide. So I'm sure there are more Christians around you than you realize. Pray that you might discover them. And we also see Elijah's boldness in the challenge itself. You see, at a time of killing God's prophets, what do you think would happen to Elijah if he loses the challenge? And what's more, the sacrifice to be laid out is a bull. Baal was usually depicted as a bull. 
In other words, Elijah is putting Baal on trial here. And Elijah prays a bold prayer. He prays this in verse 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. I wonder what bold prayers might the Lord want you to pray today? What bold action might he need you to take in your workplace or school? If you've ever been to London, you may have been to one of the famous department stores there called Selfridges. And in the early days, as the Selfridges empire was being built, there was a young Christian man called Gibo, who was employed as an assistant to Gordon Selfridge, the man in charge. He was just a junior clerk at the time. And one day the telephone went and Gibo answered it. And it was somebody who wanted to speak to Gordon Selfridge. So Gibo knocked on his office, entered in and said, Mr. Selfridge, there's so-and-so on the phone for you. And Gordon Selfridge in a loud voice said, tell him I'm not here. To which Gibo, this young Christian man said, uh, no, sir, I won't say that. <gasps> there were sharp intakes of breath all across the office. Gordon Selfridge looked furious. And then Gibo said these words. He says, I won't say that because if I can lie for you, I can lie to you and I will never do that. From that day forward, Gordon Selfridge trusted Gibo more than anybody else. He became his trusted confidant, his go-to guy, and Gibo rose up the ranks to be number two in Selfridges. A bold move. It takes boldness to live all in, not just in how we live for the Lord, but in how we surrender to him and allow him to be Lord over every aspect of our life. Number one, be bold. The second way to live a life that's all in, number two, is trust the power of God, not the powerlessness of idols. Idols only have power because we give it to them. We set out planning on them to do our bidding, but as such, we can end up doing their bidding, serving them. But they don't have power, anything like that of God. It's not even a fair fight. It's not like a cage fight, say, between Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. It's not even close. The prophets of Baal, you know, they started dancing around the altar, frantically praying, shouting, slashing themselves, trying to get Baal to send fire, but nothing happens. And Elijah starts to mock them, saying, oh, perhaps he's sleeping, perhaps he's deep in thought, perhaps he's doing his business, traveling, suggesting these human attributes for Baal's lack of response, because idols, after all, are man-made. And nothing happens because Baal is powerless to do anything. But contrast that with the unlimited power of God. Verse 38, we read this. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. In other words, you can trust in the limitless power of God, whatever your circumstance or need. Don't rely on or trust in your own power or that of an idol. Turn to God and his power and be all in. 
I'm a friend called Freddie, and he shared with me just recently how a particular point in his life, he was really wavering in his faith. He was kind of lukewarm, you might say. And um, he'd just gone to the doctors and they'd done a health checkup and discovered he had a problem with his heart. The heart wall uh, um, externally and internally was thickening and that was gonna cause serious uh, heart problems for him. So they said, okay, come back in a couple of weeks time and we'll do a final checkup and then decide on a course of medical intervention. Obviously, Freddie was worried. At this time, a friend came, came up to him and said, hey, we're just going on a short-term mission trip to Sabah uh, on Borneo. Do, do you want to come with us? Freddie thought, um, okay, I, I've got nothing better to do. I'll, I'll come with you. So he went on that mission trip to Sabah. And one day they were going into the interior, walking through the jungle, and Freddie trod on a snake. But it wasn't just any snake he trod on. He trod on a huge cobra. And as he trod on it, this cobra wrapped around his leg and the hood came out and it bore its fangs. Uh, Freddie said he didn't know what came over him. Suddenly, this boldness, and he just said, in the name of Jesus, and slapped the cobra across the face. And the cobra just let go and slid off. Everyone said, did it bite you? Did it bite you? And he said, uh, no, I don't think so. And they were like, what? Cobras always bite. He was untouched. That evening, before he slept, he thought, oh, I'll just read, read my Bible. And he opened it up. And there in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he suddenly read these verses. Jesus says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And Freddie was like, oh, Wow, Lord, that's a sign. That's literally what happened to me today. So there and then in his room, he said, okay, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I will follow you wholeheartedly. Not, not long after, at the end of the mission trip, Freddie went back home, went back to the doctors. They did the final checkup and scan. And to the doctor's amazement, his heart was back to normal. No thickening no problems. And Freddie's not had any problems since. You can trust the power and goodness of God. You can live all in knowing that he is all powerful. And then the third thing that encourages us to be all in as a follower of Jesus is this, live in response to God's sacrifice. We will live all in for God when we remember that he is all in for us and demonstrated that by giving everything. He gave himself for us. Our whole life can be lived as it were, propelled by an attitude of gratitude for what he's done, dying for us. And sacrifice comes at a cost. Not only does Elijah put the bull on the wood, but he also pours over it 15 liters of water, a very costly act at a time of severe drought and water scarcity. Worship and sacrifice can be costly. I think I've shared before that I used to volunteer at a drug rehab, and I met one guy there who was an ex 
addict and, uh, and gangster. He'd come to the rehab, he'd got off drugs, and he'd heard the gospel and put his faith in Jesus. And as the Lord began to transform his character, he came to me one time and said, look, you know, I've been in and out of prison all my life, but there's one major crime that I committed that I was never caught for. And he said, I can't sleep at night. It's on my conscience. I think I need to go and confess to the police. And I prayed with him and said, okay, but you do realize that you'll go to jail for this. He said, yeah, but it's a cost I've got to bear. So he went, confessed, his court case came. Uh, we gave a, a, a testimony about his character and as such, he was got a slightly more lenient sen sentencing, but he was sentenced to jail. He went to prison, and because of his amazingly good behavior in the prison, he was also released early. And then, after he was released, that guy then became the leader running the whole of the rehab center. That is true worship, bearing the cost. But the cost of the sacrifice on Mount Carmel was actually nothing compared with the cost that that sacrifice foreshadowed and points us to, namely the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, on the cross, not a bull, but the Lamb of God was also laid on wood, the wood of the cross. Not on Mount Carmel, but Mount Calvary. Elijah repairs the altar and places 12 stones around it, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is where the sacrifice was made on the altar and on the cross, an altar of sacrifice. The Lord Almighty, Jesus himself, gave his life as a sacrifice, not just for 12 tribes, but for all mankind, including you and me. And just as the blood of the prophets of Baal, as they slashed themselves, could achieve nothing. Likewise, our own blood, sweat, and tears can't justify ourselves. However, the blood of Jesus justifies us. The blood of Jesus saves us, purifies us, redeems us with an even greater refining power than the fire that fell on the sacrifice offered by Elijah. And what should our response be to such a loving, selfless sacrifice? Verse 39, we read this. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is good. God, the Lord, he is God. We are to turn to the Lord and love him 100% all in. And our response has consequences. The story continues in the chapter. You see, as a result of the people's repentance and turning back to him wholeheartedly, the Lord breaks the drought and sends rain on the land. Our corporate response to the Lord's sacrifice for us, it matters. Repentance has repercussions. It leads to a releasing of blessing. Second Chronicles 7.14 the Lord says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and answer and heal their land. Going back to my friend who confessed his crime and after 
jail ended up running the drug rehab, he has this brilliant phrase that I always remember. However his day was going, whether it was a really good day of victory, whether it was a really tough day full of challenges, he would always smile and he'd said, Miles, when I remember what I was and what I have done in the past, but who I now am in Jesus and all that he's done for me, whatever the day that lies before me, I know it's all gravy. It's just all gravy. In other words, every day is a blessing, is a bonus for him. Do you know, even if you had lived a life 100 times worse than you have, God would still love you and still have died for you. So with confidence, you can live a life all in for him. Let's pray. We pray, come, Holy Spirit, come and fill now everyone watching this. For those of us that need to do something bold, would you give us divine courage? For those who have been too afraid to pray that bold prayer, would you give us the words to pray, like Elijah, prayers for breakthrough? For those who need the power of God in their lives, Lord, would you send your power now and work in and through them in their situation? And for those that need that reminder that Sarah gave me, that question, have you prayed about it? Would you nudge them into prayer right now, knowing that your plans for their lives are good and perfect? And we lift all of this up to you now in the name of Jesus. Amen.